Welcome to the Hybrid Human Podcast. My name is Zach Ryan, and each week, myself and my co-host Chase Price will be exploring the intersection of wellness, business, entrepreneurship, and more. Get ready to learn, grow, and evolve with us on the Hybrid Human Podcast. We'll just jump into it. What's up, brother? How are you? Doing good, man. How are you guys? Good, man. Good. It's a pretty crazy story how we actually got linked up. So we were all just kind of chilling and invigorating. Me and Zach were just having a meeting, getting some IVs or doing some compression or something. And we were talking about the pod and you just happened to be sitting right next to us. <laughs> yep. You're like, what's up? You guys talking pod? Let's chat about pod. What's <laughs> up? Pod. <laughs> and uh, we were just talking about guests we want to have on. We got to know you a little bit, realized that you had... Uh, we're one of the partners who had founded Aruza, uh, pest control yep. here in North Carolina. And, uh, I had heard of them. It, they're massive here in North Carolina. Mm. So we got linked up and wanted to have you on. So yeah, crazy, but yeah. thanks for popping on brother. We appreciate well, dude, it. I, thanks for having me. Like I'm stoked you guys are doing a podcast. Cause I mean, I started a podcast with my buddy and I, then I kind of stepped back and another person came in with him as I'm kind of working on a different channel that I want to do myself. But Dude, it's fun and it's exciting. And I mean, honestly, the rewards are huge. So it's like, there's no one really doing it here in Charlotte, right? Yeah. Like not too many people anyways. Not so too it's kind many. of exciting to have some like local people it is, man. doing podcasts. It is. And we connected separately leading up just to kind of get a little bit more background. So I've heard your story per se a, a little bit summarized, but I don't think Zach had. So if you could kind of summarize it a little bit for us from your come up to kind of founding Aruza, the struggles leading up to that point and how that came to be. Yeah, man. So, uh, long journey. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in Minnesota, small little farm town. Um, you know, was always kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, I loved my town. I loved all my people I grew up with, but it's like, I always knew that wasn't where I belonged. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, when you just like don't fit in somewhere really, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not meant to be in this small little town. So I always knew, you know, I had to get out and go somewhere bigger. Um, I got the opportunity to move uh, away from my house when I was 17, um, leave my mom and my sister and go move in with some older uh, family friends of ours. Uh, mostly the decision was so I, I was doing semi-professional mountain biking at the time. Right. Um, the ability to train all year round and escape the Minnesota cold winters um, was very enticing to me. And, and so, you know, my mom came home and was like, hey, would you want to move to Arizona? And I was like, yep, like no questions. Like, you know, and so, now where I'm at, kind of looking back on some of these decisions I've made, I've kind of attached like one of my core values, my personal core values to like courage, right? Where it's like, I've just seen as I go back, right, that there's all these different pieces where courage played a big factor where I just, instead of like being fearful and be like, eh, hesitant, I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, okay, let's do it, figure it out, right? Um, and so moved to Arizona, uh, ended up loving it, stayed there um lived there for 12 years that's i got into fitness and gyms and managing la fitnesses out there and then kind of led me into uh randomly door-to-door uh, -door pest control sales right so uh i knew nothing about pest control growing up in minnesota like I don't, I don't even think we had pest control in the town i grew up in um but i was uh there was this front desk girl at my gym and she was like you know, you'd be really good at pest control sales. I'm like, what the hell is pest control sales? Like, what is it? And so, you know, over the period of time, I kind of met with um, the owners of the company because her brother-in-law was a partner with them somehow. And uh, I mean, I kind of really loved the idea. It's like work five, six months a year, 
make enough money to kind of do whatever you want the rest of the year. And having managed the gyms over the last six years, I mean, I was working like six, seven days a week, 15 hour days. So I'm like, I could use a little, you know, breathing room. Um, so I finally just, you know, again, took the courage, leave my salary, leave my bonuses, leave, you know, all my pay. I, I just bought a house. So I was going to lock up my house for six months and move to Houston, Texas. And I was just like, okay, let's do this thing. Right. And, uh, door to door sales is freaking brutal, dude. Yeah. It'll humble your ass real quick. Oh my gosh. I think I probably was like in tears, like probably the first like three weeks every night. Yeah, like, it's like, what am I doing, dude? Yeah. Um, like, did I make a mistake? Um, but then I, I really picked it up. I mean, I had been doing sales forever, but it, it's just way harder being out there, like massive amounts of rejection, right? It's like, mm -hmm you know, 200 no's a day, people cussing at you, spitting at you, slamming doors in your face, pulling guns on you. I mean, just everything. And it's, it keep it makes it so hard to like, you know, maintain your composure. Um, but I got the hang of it and I, I ended up having a pretty good summer and, you know, I made enough money to where I could, you know, basically enjoy the rest of the year and, and, uh, kind of fell in love with the lifestyle. Mm. Right. But you know, it's funny, like growing up, I always knew I kind of wanted to be a business owner or, or entrepreneur or something, right? Because I kind of came from like a entrepreneurial family. So it's like my grandpa and my grandma, they started their own company together, which is a pretty cool story in and of itself. My mom, you know, had started her own company when she was uh, just had me as a baby. Um, so I always knew that that was kind of what I wanted to do, right? But it's like now I'm doing pest control and I'm like, oh, man, like, you know, I don't like that. I don't love this stuff. Right. It's like, and then after every summer you work so much, you're just burnt out that it's like, you're like, I'm never doing this again. Like this is my last year, never doing pest control. I'm going to go get a normal nine to five salary job and just coast. Right. And then it's like, you get home, you take a couple months off and then you're like, okay, I'm ready to go back out. Right. So, um, I worked for that company for six years. You know, when I was, you know, 20, my mom had gotten remarried. My stepdad's family all lives out um, here in, in Tiga K, Fort Mill area, South Carolina. And so my parents bought a house out here and, you know, they were like, yo, you should move to Charlotte. And I was like, it's like, I'm, I'm getting older. You know, if I stay in Arizona much longer, I'm probably gonna end up settling here and then I'll be stuck here. So I'm like, I might as well just move now. And, and then at the same time, it was like, I'm, tra I'm leaving every year for six months. It's almost impossible to like, you know, get settled or, you know, maintain, mm -hmm many relationships so because you're living in arizona and then spending the summers in houston yeah slinging. houston i lived in san antonio for two months one summer i lived in uh, atlanta t for two months two different summers but mostly most of my time was spent in houston mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah so it's like i mean it's hard to date a girl and then be like cool i'm gonna leave for five six months you know they're like okay peace i so mean they always of, act yeah. like they're like committed like yeah yeah this would be fine and then it's like about two, three weeks in, they're like, they just kind of Can't fizzle this. off. Yeah. I mean, cause you're working so much. It's not like you can really like have many conversations. So I was like, dude, if I keep doing this, like I'm going to be a bachelor forever. Right. And so I was like, I need to settle down. So I'm like, look, I might as well just start my own pest control company. Right. And the only thing that really like made me have the courage and kind of confidence to do that was the fact that, Hey, look, I know I can sell, like I, I can sell you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue for pest control. So like, even if it was just me and I slowly did it over the years, like, you know, I could probably do something with this. And so I called my best friend who we met doing pest control sales. We were like, uh, randomly like assigned as roommates one year. 
And uh, he was doing solar in San Diego at the time, door to door. And I called him like, hey, man, let's go start a pest control company in Charlotte. And he's like, okay. You know, and he kind of took a risk on me too. And uh, we moved out here and moved into my parents' house um, and uh, started a ruse of just two trucks, him and I. We went out and knocked the doors, sold the accounts, serviced the accounts. You know, I was like taking all the phone calls, you know, while I was out driving or in the field or whatever. And uh, we, we kind of slowly grew it from there. Um, and I mean, then things started really getting crazy, right? So it's like when we started it, we didn't really know exactly what we wanted it to be, right? We, we knew what the, the directions or the possibilities could be, right? It's like, okay, we can go this direction kind of like the company we came from, which, you know, we can do it really, really big, or we can kind of take it easy and sort of just, you know, float with it. But we ended up going, obviously, the, the first route. Um, brought on a third partner who had, you know, a pretty good sales team, was really good at recruiting. Um, he actually had some capital too that we could kind of put into the business at the time, which, you know, was important. And so that summer when he joined us, we, he brought 75 sales guys. We opened up Charleston and, you know, we, we put on a, a bunch of accounts. It was crazy. Um, super hectic, right? Like I was running around like a wild man. And then it's like, you know, each year we kind of kept opening two, three new offices. Um, you know, got up to where we had about 250 door-to-door guys each summer and about 100 full-time employees and we had nine markets so we had you know North Carolina South Carolina and Florida mm-hmm. um, and you know then uh, you know business is crazy and partnerships can be difficult and you know it's like we just had different visions like me and the me and the other partners like we just kind of had different visions at that time of what we would really want to do or kind of what our purpose was in the company and so you know, there was some turmoil there a little bit and we just kind of agreed that, you know, it may be best to sort of sell the company and kind of let other people sort of take over, right? And so me and my original partner, we we exited the business and we sold it to a private equity company last October. Okay. Um, and I mean, it was crazy to think of what we did in just six years. Yeah. You know. So you sold coming on about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Let's rewind a little bit yep. before. So there's so much that goes into this whole thing culminating in a sale last October. But prior to that, let's talk about knocking on doors because that's something that I feel like I've heard so many stories of people who started knocking on doors, but they become successful through that grind of through constantly being told no, no, no. Oftentimes, it's most often immigrants uh, mm-hmm. because that immigrant mentality, we've all heard about that because they just refuse to take no for an answer. Um, or they just continue to fight through adversity. How much of a role did that play for you being told no, no, no so many times to eventually get a yes and then get momentum that way? Did that play a big role in later on as you began to grow the company? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the ability to deal with rejection, right, without losing enthusiasm is like the key to success, right? Because I mean, I mean, you guys know, I mean, you're going to have failures. You're going to get rejected. Not everyone's going to see the same viewpoints as you. Not everyone's going to agree with you, no matter what it is, right? It's like, I mean, you could be talking about the most, you know, charity-driven type of thing, and somebody's not going to agree with it, right? So it's like you have to be able to, like, deal with those rejections without losing your enthusiasm and motivation and keep pushing forward, right? And, I mean, you, you had that experience a lot doing door-to-door sales, very fast, right? Because it's like, 
you know, the first year I did it, that was a thing that was really, really hard. And for most first year sales guys we have, I always tell them, I'm like, look, this is going to be the hardest thing that you deal with. It's not even the sales. It's not even any of that. It's just going to be keeping your enthusiasm up while getting rejected. Like what's the percentage of guys that actually finish who start in the summer on it? 30%, 30% finish. Wow. Yeah. So usually it's like 70% of the guys that you sign up to go out for the summer will show up Mm -hmm. and only 30% will usually finish. So how does that pay structure work? Is it salary plus, Hey, you go get a deal, you get paid commission. So you're, they're incentivized to go out and do well and push through that. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that this kind of whole door-to-door thing is sort of structured that I think helps it, right? Like is, I mean, you got to be put into an uncomfortable situation, right? So it's like, we are typically for any of our locations, right? Like we're not going to be really going and recruiting guys from Charlotte to work in Charlotte. Mm. We're going to go recruit guys from other cities and bring them to Charlotte. We put up, uh, we rent, you know, lease a bunch of apartments. We furnish them. We put them all up in the apartments um, they, if they hit certain sales metrics, like then we would, you know, basically cover the rent for the whole summer for them. So they don't have to pay for it. Otherwise it's deducted out of their commissions. Mm-hmm. But the thing is you got to take people out of their comfort and comfortable environments, put them into an area where they're not comfortable. Right. Cause that kind of helps force growth. But then also you don't have those, uh, you know, the kind of like voices in the back saying, you know, like on a hot 98 degree yeah. day in, in humid, you know, Charlotte, <laughs> you're out there getting your teeth kicked in and your buddies during the summer, like, man, pool party's popping off. Like, yeah, the girl's <laughs> here. You need to come. You're like, do I really want to go knock a hundred more doors or should I go? Right. Pool party? Right. It's like, so if you have that kind of there, it's very easy to just be like detour. Right. Yeah. Um, so w- one thing that really works is we kind of would structure it where we would try to take them out of their environment put them in an area where the only people they know are all the same guys on the team who are all going through the same thing Mm -hmm. and they're all you out working. Right. So it's like, what else are you going to do? You're going to go work. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's brutal still. I mean, so first year guys, I mean, a lot of them are young, man. It's like, you know, even if you're not young, you're very inexperienced with dealing with that many like different personalities that quickly. Um, you know, and it's like the emotions get super high, like pretty quickly. Like, there's many, many, many times like, dude, I would like be on the side of the s- sidewalk, sitting down, like crying, just like, dude, what am I doing? Like, ah, you know, and it's just like, pull yourself together and be like, okay, dude, let, yeah. we got to go get this right. 30% is actually <laughs> higher than I thought it would be yeah. for amount of people that finish. But that makes sense because you're pulling them entirely out of this other environment to a, a place where you're like, all right, you're kind of only getting, giving them one option. Yeah. Like, Obviously, they they have other options. They can quit. It's like it's succeed or it fail. Hard right. for them to quit. Mm-hmm. What do you do? So I'm just curious. From when you're leasing these places, and then you see this significant drop off, like how does that work with the agreement with the complexes and stuff? I mean, that's you know kind of a downfall. Like sometimes, I mean, that's kind of pr- some of the price you pay, mm-hmm. right? Um, so. I mean, sometimes you can work with the apartment complexes and, and kind of close them down a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time you, you just kind of, I mean, we're usually just doing, trying to negotiate like three to four month leases. So yeah. it's like, usually it's maybe like an extra month or two that we pay for, um, you know, or we'll try to, what we, what we will usually try to do. And this is kind of a resourceful thing, right? Is, you know, you get all these sales guys as the summer progresses, each person individual will usually start selling more accounts each per day on average so it's like then the service numbers need to go up higher right so it's like 
what we'll always try to do before we send somebody home is like if a guy can't make it in sales, we'll be like, hey, look, we'll pay you, you know, blah, 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 whatever, cover your apartment for the rest of the summer, stay and just go service the houses, mm -hmm. right? So you try to convert them into service technicians so that way you don't have to hire a full-time person and then maybe have to drop them at the end of the summer, right? You don't want to do that. But then you also don't have to, uh, you know, have an empty space in the apartment too. Are so they, you try to do that as much as you can. Are they reluctant to take that position coming out of like a sales type of role and be like, I don't want to go no, spray because houses? Otherwise it, no, because otherwise it's like, I mean, they go home with making no money. Yeah. Right? So it's like, okay, you can go home and you, you can have a good amount of money in your pocket or you can go home with nothing. Right. So it's like some just go. But then a lot of the guys, I mean, this, a lot of their buddies are there too. So it's like they kind of want to stay and hang out. I mean, we create like a really, I mean, the whole summer is like pretty intense, like fun, exciting, competitive environment. So it's like, you don't really honestly want to leave that though, right? You got like a big brotherhood of guys, you know, we're doing barbecues, like, you know, company dinners, you know, each week that you can earn competitions, mm -hmm. incentives and stuff like that. So it's hard to like, be like, oh, let me go leave and you know, just go back home and not do anything. Yeah. Did you have employees come back summer after summer? Mm -hmm. Like continued? Yeah. 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 I mean, we had a lot of, uh, we had a really, really good retention, you know, on returning guys. Um, but you also have like tiered structures, right? So it's like each year they come back, they kind of get higher commission percentages. Usually then they'll start recruiting some, some guys themselves from their colleges or whatever, kind of build their own little team. Um, they get kind of overrides on those guys. And then from there, you know, they kind of have this little team that they're sort of also helping lead. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had a, like a sales partnership program. So if these guys could work up through the, um, through the leadership structure and, and have a, a big enough team that was good enough to like produce a certain amount of revenue, then they could qualify for partnership where when we would open a new location, they could, you know, get equity in that branch. So it's like, it was honestly, it was really, really cool, man. Cause like when we did sell the company, I mean, I think we created maybe like five millionaires at that time. And then, you know, the potential future ones, there's probably like 10 total. Mm -hmm. That's phenomenal. So it was like, yeah, I mean, some of those kids were 21. Can you disclose Incredible. what the sale price was? I can't, uh, it was like middle eight figures. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. Good for you. Um, yeah. So, Congratulations. Good. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Congrats, man. I'm sure it's still been a uh, whirlwind of, of dealing with that the last year or so. And we'll get Dude. into that here in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, that that's a whole, you know, other story, right? Cause yeah. and I'm sure I mean there's some if if I when we dive into it, I'm sure you could you could relate like if you were in those same spots too, right? Cause it's like you build this thing from nothing, right? And then it's like you get to a point where you know, you're, you're potentially going to lose it or it doesn't really fit what you wanted anymore. It's not really like meshing with you, but it's like, this is my baby, right? Like, this yeah. is my thing. Like, I'm not just going to like, I can't just give it up, walk away from it, you know? And so I was like, really, when me and my partner were having a lot of uh, fights, it was like, I had a really hard time being like, no, like, dude, this is like, I started this thing. Like I'm not walking away, mm -hmm. but then, you know, you sit and reflect and you're like, dude is like, I mean, first of all, that's my ego, right? It's like my ego is telling me like, you're the only one that can do this. This is your thing, da, da, da. But then it's like, I look, I'm like, okay, like let's look at your mission, like what your purpose is, like what your vision and goals are. You know, does Aruza have to be in that? Or if Aruza is in any of those goals and, and vision statements right now, could you extract Aruza and put something else in there and it still be the same, 
And so when I realized that I could, that it wasn't, I didn't need a ruse to fulfill my, my mission. Then I was like, okay, fine. Let me just, let's move on from this. And that way I can kind of realign and refocus myself. But then when you step away from that, it's like, man, I've been grinding for six years. And it's like, now I'm not doing anything, right? It's like, woo, that's hard, right? Like sure. for, for, you know, people like us that are like work, we work a lot. And I mean, honestly, you know, a lot of our work grind is probably, you know, help is an addiction that's kind of helping hide and mask, you know, which I'm learning now is like my work ethic has been a, an addiction that I've used to hide my depression and mental health issues. Right. And so that's when like really everything started kind of like hitting me when I like slowed down and uh, had enough time to like for everything to kind of like, you know, it's like you're speeding freaking you know, car, you stop and then everything in the trunk like slams in the, right? It's like, the whiplash <sighs> come I'm like, back. whoa, yep. okay, here we go. Um, yep. So that was really interesting, right? Like kind of going into that, that new stage or season of life. And, you know, since then everything's like been really, it's been kind of a whirlwind and I'm, you know, sort of just kind of pulling myself back out, right? But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I always go back to like the mission, right? Your purpose, like that's been the one thing that's like, always kept me like grounded and probably kept me from like losing it or whatever you know suicide or who knows like that type of stuff right what is yours my so my purpose is i want to like help people achieve all their goals and financial dreams and become financially free um you know so i had this there's this weird thing and I, I don't, I always feel weird talking about it because, you know, I don't think anybody really likes talking about these things, but there's this thing that I always think about that it's like, is kind of like my overall arching, like a goal, right? So my grandpa, you know, was a very successful business owner, built a company, you know, a few hundred employees, was like super loyal to his people, always took care of them, you know, could have walked away from the company, you know, multiple times, but it's like, never did he always wanted to make sure his, his employees were taken care of right um when he passed away we were at his funeral and there was just like lines of people you know when they like hey does anyone want to get up and say something right and i mean i've only been to a few funerals like i'm not a funeral kind of person <laughs> i'm like i don't like that stuff but um so many people got up and just told of these like touching stories of like how my grandpa had impacted him and i'm just like dude like that is the ultimate goal like how many people are going to get up at your funeral and say that you touched their lives or impacted their life somehow that somehow catapulted them to a better version of their self so like that's really like what i'm <clears throat> shooting for and mm -hmm. I, I, who I, maybe i'll make it maybe i won't i won't know because i won't be there <laughs> I love that though. That to me, that's a legacy. Yeah, you know, a legacy is how you make people feel. It's not necessarily how much money you made or what mm -hmm. car you showed up in. It's yeah, how did you make these people feel when you had the ability to impact yeah. them in their lives? And that's that's exactly what that is. So that's a cool, a cool yeah. story to hear. So I'm not really sure exactly how to make all that happen, but you know, I mean, they say it's like, you know, most people are going to pay attention and really actually learn from your actions. So it's like, I always try to make sure that somehow I'm keep pushing forward and I'm, and I'm doing things. But, um, I think, you know, this new, the new business I'm doing, I'm, I've started, I think is really going to kind of help me. It's really aligned with that, 
overall goal, right? Yeah. Just to backtrack a little bit. So this is definitely something I wanted to touch on yeah. before when we were chatting about this. I love the fact that it, I don't think you're going to take offense to this, but essentially you grew a boring business, right? There's more exciting mm -hmm. opportunities out there, but this is kind of something that's been around for a long time. It's boring. Nobody really thinks about pest control. Probably don't think about starting a pest control company. So my question to you is how did you differentiate? You know, a lot of people talk about, let's take these boring businesses. For example, uh, I think her name's Cody Sanchez on mm -hmm. Instagram always talks about like find the boring businesses yep. and then put a twist on it, bring in some kind of technology or some kind of spin. Mm -hmm. Is that how you thought about it? Did you grow it in a non-traditional way or just tweak something slightly or did you guys just do great work? Like what was it that differentiated you as you continue to grow your business? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, the thing is with, with pest control, it is a very traditional type of business, right? It's very, you know, old boys club type of thing, right? And what's interesting, I mean, so, you know, there, there's, a, there's a good amount of door-to-door -door pest companies now, right? A lot of them are from like Utah and, and stuff like that. A lot of the LDS, um, you know, Mormons are- Why is that? Well, they go on their mission for two years and they knock doors and, you know, obviously preach, you know, the church, uh, the religion and stuff like that to, you know, help, um, people find God. And, and so they're doing that for free for two years and they come back and they're broke and, you know, it's very easy to say, okay, I've just been knocking doors in some other foreign country for two years. Now I can come back and I can go knock doors and make 50, 70, hundred thousand dollars. Like, okay, cool. Makes right. Sense. Um, and so just, it's just kind of a natural thing. So it's like, it's funny. Like you go to like Provo, Utah, or like Salt Lake city, Utah, you can't like go to a Chipotle without seeing like 10 door to door companies, like trying to recruit, have lunches with different, oh, yeah. I mean, cause you got solar security, pests, um, alarms. I mean, dude, it's like endless, but, um, but yeah, so <clears throat> still even to this day, door to door is very non-traditional in pest control right like if you go to a lot of pest control like events and things like that a lot of these these guys that have been in the industry for a long time like do they despise door-to-door -door. Mm. but it's making i mean it's making a huge impact now and um if you do it, the problem is there's a lot of companies that don't do it the right way right so it's like that's there to where what a lot of these companies are is they're a sales company that happens to do pest control my, my goal was always to be a pest control company that just happens to use door-to-door -door sales, right? And so that's kind of how we built Aruza to where it's like, okay, look, we want to have really high standards for our sales guys, right? Because most sales teams will allow their people to go out and just like sell whatever, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, lie to the people, you know, be, you know, say whatever they need to to try to get the deal done and stuff like that. And it's like, we were like really like adamant about not doing that, right? And uh, so we had a lot of standards to make sure that the customers were always taken care of and that these, the reps weren't lying or, or saying bad stuff. Um, you know, we, we did the highest level of services we possibly could, which most of those companies are gonna just try to bust out services super fast. Um, and then my biggest thing was, you know, I would always tell my team and customers, it was like, look, we're, no one's perfect. Like we are gonna make mistakes. And what will make you stay with us though is how we, like come back from those mistakes. Like that's where we will amaze you. It's like, we're going to make mistakes from time to time. Stuff happens, no one's perfect. But what will make you stay with us is like how we make up for those mistakes. And so it's like, if somebody was had a complaint, bad review online, it was like, 
uh, everyone on deck, get this, like get this fixed, whatever we got to do to take care of it, send them flowers, send them, you know, things, whatever. It's like to where it's like, we would just go over the top to make sure we made up for anything. Right. Um, so I think the big thing that I was always kind of focused on, and it's one thing that I'm still really focused on and trying to always like identify how we can do better. And I think technology is a huge thing that can help with that. Right. And technology really just the last six years is kind of maybe five, six years has kind of moved itself into pest control. Right. Um, it had a little bit of software stuff, but it was really rudimentary, like six, seven years ago. Now it's getting a lot better. Um, to where you know you can have much a much better customer experience right but it's like i mean a lot of these home service blue collar businesses i mean dude their customer experience is horrible Trash. like i don't know if you guys have ever called plumbers or contractors or any like home service business i mean one it's like can you even get them to answer the phone right two it's like are they even going to provide you a quote or pricing or actually tell you what they do over the phone um, and then are they going to show up on time? Are they going to actually do a good job? It's like, are they going to follow up? Like, dude, a lot of these companies don't. So it's like that leaves a huge gap right there where you can really kind of create a difference if you just find all those little pieces in the journey that people, you know, the, most of these companies don't even care to look at and figure out how you can make that better. I love that you brought it up uh, as the customer experience because it doesn't matter if it's pest control or video production, which we do, it's the same thing. Yeah. And like we look for opportunities out of our fuck ups. So we'll fuck up and then we'll say, okay, it's kind of like a point system, right? Like you give them what you're they're expecting out of the transaction, you stay kind of level at zero. Mm -hmm. You fuck up, all right, it's negative five. But you make things right, it's plus 15 and you're plus 10 on the board because there was a mistake, but you went above and beyond to correct it. So now they like you even more than if mm -hmm. you wouldn't have fucked up and you just did what you were supposed to do, Yeah. right? And that's how you kind of take it to the next level and think, okay, these we're going to mess up. It's inevitable, but these are opportunities, mm -hmm. right? These aren't just something that we have to eat, you know? Yep. So. Well, then you look at that mistake too and you're like, okay, was this like a, a mistake on the, on the person? Like they just, they knew what they should have done or whatever and they just messed it up? Or is there... Is there, is, was there some sort of miss in the system or process that kind of created this, right? Because if it's something in the system, then you can fix that. And then if you can fix that, then, then you should never really usually have to experience that same mistake again, right? And so that's part of the reason why technology and, and these software can be so great because you can set up a lot of those different tools and reminders or SMS messages, campaigns, different things where it's like, I mean, you know, a lot of these businesses can almost be completely automated, you know, if you have the right software and then take the right time to set those things up. But most people don't, you know, they get kind of stuck in the weeds. They're selling, you know, selling jobs and then they're having to do jobs themselves. So they can't step back and like focus on the bigger picture, um, which I mean, it's hard to do, especially mm -hmm. if you're a smaller business. Yeah, coming up the last six years or so, do you remember distinct pain points during your expansion where it was like a sticking point, where it's like a little bit of a plateau, whether it was a certain threshold of amount of people that work for you? I've heard of like employee thresholds where it's mm -hmm. almost like there's a really difficult pain point at four people. There's another one when you get to 10 to 12 people, another one at 40, shit like that, where your systems kind of have to internally change because mm -hmm. your infrastructure wasn't built for the amount of people that you're adding. Do you remember significant points where you're like, damn, 
this is getting harder and harder as we're scaling? Yeah. Um, man, I think there was a lot of those, but I'll try to pull I'll try to think of a few. Um, I mean, honest, definitely the first, like in the beginning, I mean, I think some of the first ones, especially for the industry I was in, right. It's like, we had to have service vehicles. So it's like having the ability to like get financing or credit to like get 20 vehicles, like real brutal, right? Like huge hurdle to try to figure out and try to navigate. Um, I was very fortunate enough to where, you know, uh, a guy from enterprise, you know, fleet management, he took it, he took a big gamble on me and, and he saw the vision. And so he went and kind of fought to his team to help us get secure with some vehicles. Um, my chemical rep, she, she saw the vision and, and so she really kind of, you know, took care of us as well too. And I mean, that's the, one of the big things about the, you know, the CEO or the founder of a company, right. Is you need to be able to like, I mean, your the vision of the company should just, ex, you know, come off of you like all the time, right. To where it's like, people should just be like shh, drawn in. Right. If you can't get people to draw into the vision, then you probably shouldn't be the founder or CEO. You might want to put somebody else in place, which is totally fine. Some people are, you know, um, people who are able to do processes, you know, be in systems, you know, but some people are the visionary people who are going to just bring people in. Right. So it's like, I mean, it's not bad to be one or the other, but, um, hiring has always, was always a big one. Right. So it's like, you know, when we were smaller and, and still even probably up to like, you know, 30, 40 employees, like I still had maybe a part in a lot of the interviewing and hiring process. Uh, but then after a certain point, it's like, you, you just can't, um, be a part of it. Right. So it's like, you know, you have to make the problem is it's like, you want to make sure you're hiring the right people too. And so, um, coming up with like really good hiring and interviewing like, uh, processes was really, really important. So I spent a bunch of time creating these like candidate evaluation forms where I, you know, identified a bunch of different questions that kind of fit different categories of like the person that we would be looking for, right? So most of these were kind of trying to fit our core values to try to find the person with the best character and who would fit the best within our organization. Um, and so you'd have all these different questions. And then what I would do is I'd have like some sort of like observation scale kind of either just like had nothing to do with the question or it wasn't like in, in answer to the question, right? So, you know, for example, you know, like one of the scales would be like, you know, did the did the candidate come in looking professional? Did they shake your hand looking in the eye? Like, you know, introduce themselves, you know, professionally, you know, one scale of one to five, right? You know, some would be like, you know, the question would be like, you know, have you ever had a, um, you know, time where you had to step up beyond the call of duty and, you know, did you receive any recognition for it or something like that, right? And it's like, then the observation would be like, did it, does the candidate, you know, did the candidate step up and do something without, needing to receive recognition for it, right? Because like some people will do stuff, but they only do it because they want recognition. And unfortunately, you're not always gonna be able to get recognition for everything, right? Some things are gonna get missed. And so it's kind of good to understand that people will just do things just to do it because that's just who they are. They're not trying to seek something out of it. And so then you'd scale, you know, write them on the scale, right? So it's like, I went through all these questions, created all these observations that I'd identified would help us know exactly what type of character this person was. And then we, you know, made a system where we would only, only eligible candidates were four or higher on average of those scores, right? So like then all my managers would interview all their uh, candidates with those candidate evaluation forms. So it's like if, if I knew we were hiring somebody, I knew that they were at least a four or higher 
on that scale. So that's like, then I could feel comfortable and confident about it. Right. So that, that was a big process. And then obviously, you know, when you're doing, when you have like 50, 70, hundred employees, um, HR becomes a very, very big, uh, thing, proper payrolls, time record keeping, um, you know, it's like, I mean, I've experienced every little thing you could road bump. You could probably think of while building. Cause it's like, I mean, dude, we grew from zero to, you know, we did 12 and a half million in, in 2022. Right. So it's like from zero to 12 and a half million and of revenue in six years. I mean, that's a lot. Um, yeah. and so you got to move real fast and I can promise you, you're not setting things up perfectly as you're moving that fast. You're just like, trying to get things done. And then all of a sudden some big bomb blows up and you're like, okay, let's fix it. Now we need to do something to make sure this never happens again. Right. Um, so it's like, we had to deal with some federal department of labor complaints, like, you know, a bunch of different stuff like that. Um, you know, so you learn really quickly, like how to make sure, you know, you're one, you obviously want to really take care of your people, but you need to make sure that everything is like dialed in. Right. Cause it's like, I mean, you just never know. Um, COVID was, was pretty interesting too right like 2020 so i mean we had a couple hundred sales guys signed and you know what was it march or february 2020 yeah. is like all that stuff happened and we're just like dude what i'm like we were me and my one partner we we're just sitting there we're like we got two options we either just like shut the door-to-door -door program down this year you know so because it's like okay how are we gonna we're gonna have all these guys come out put them in apartments have them going door-to-door -door when there's like all these shutdowns and da 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 like we were very blessed that pest control was deemed an essential service, right? Um, and we shut down for a couple of weeks as we had some employees, you know, get sick kind of right around that time. And so we kind of shut down, try to figure everything out. And then we started kind of bringing everyone back. But um, we had a decision. We we're like, okay, look, we either shut down the sales program and just kind of, you know, take any new customers we can as they come in organically and just service what we have and try not to lose any. Um, or we just say, fuck it and we just go for it and hope for the best we're like we got nothing to lose so fuck it and uh i mean we lost a little bit of sales guys because their parents or whatever wouldn't want them to come out but dude covid was huge hmm. i mean because everyone's at home everyone's yeah. these parents are trapped with their kids all day <clears throat> so it's like somebody comes and knocks on their door they're just like itching for somebody to talk to right <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh, a, another human as an adult, you know, yeah. that I can actually have a real conversation with. And it's crazy. I mean, and then, well, then the other thing, which I didn't even really think about, but makes complete sense looking back now is most people are not really home a lot during the day, right? They're kind of in and out of their home, or maybe they're gone for a lot. When they are there, they're super distracted. So it's like, I mean, pests and insects, they don't want to be around us just as much as we don't really want to be around them, right? So it's like, if you're not paying attention, I mean, you, the, there'll be insects maybe in your house and you're moving around, they're gonna dart away before you maybe even catch them, right? But when these people were at their home all day, dude, they started noticing these insects. Like, I mean, they were like, they're, I've never noticed all these bugs. They're all over my house. I'm like, well, they've always probably been there. You just never noticed them because you're not slowing down enough to That's see a spider funny. in the corner, right? Was that one of your better years, COVID? So, yeah, probably. Um, I mean, I think we had like a 400% organic growth that year, which was pretty insane. Cause I mean, everybody was calling, 
you know, and it's like, you'd be surprised, dude. You'd think like, oh man, all these people are going to be concerned. It's like, it's like, hey, look, like we're not, we're, we can't, we're not servicing interiors right now. They're like, you need to get inside my house. We're like, okay, like we'll, we'll do it. Right. It's like, but I mean, so these people didn't even care. They're just like, get, it's like, okay, yeah. COVID or get these roaches out of my house. Well, you're home okay, all day to your point. <laughs> yeah. They get don't the roaches out of my house. All the bugs and. Dude, I know. It's, but it's just funny how like quick people's perceptions switch where they're like, okay, I don't care about COVID. You need to come in here and you need to kill these bugs. <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, our sales teams, dude, they did great. Um, you know, you, you'd get a lot of like some rant, you know, the random complaint reviews or random things like you got guys out here going door to door during a, 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 a pandemic. It's sure. like, I mean, but we had the guys, you know, doing, uh, they wore the latex gloves, they wore masks. Um, they had sanitizers, you know, instead of signing agreements on the iPads, we would send it to them digitally and they'd sign it on their own phone. So like we did a lot of things and that was part of the technology, right? It allowed mm -hmm. us to kind of make those shifts pretty quickly to where yeah. we didn't have to, you know, do a lot of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it worked out really, really well. Like, I mean, yeah, it was probably one of our <laughs> biggest growth, like growth years from year over year. Um, so you get through COVID, mm -hmm. when did the exit strategy begin was it a planned hey let's over the next two it wasn't years plan no i can't i mean we always had the plan to like kind of do that sort of exit like private equity or like you know self-finance it to like bring somebody from the company kind of up and give them the ceo position um and uh but that we kind of had like maybe five to ten year timeline but um it was like end of 2021 that you know we start we kind of you know got to a point where you know we were like okay we need to need to do something what was that process like start to finish it was long um a lot of work um as far as like gathering all the data and, and uh financials and metrics and all this stuff and did you all start the process or were people reaching out to you uh i mean dude people were reaching out all the time but uh we started the process um we hired a broker who's specialized in pest control he was great um, you know, so they kind of gave us a list of all the information. They kind of put all the decks together, kind of went out and, you know, pitched the companies, you know, then you start talking to some of the companies and then you start negotiating and then you, you know, sign an LOI and kind of agree to some terms and then kind of go into deeper due diligence and stuff. So, I mean, from the time where we like signed an LOI with the company, I mean, it was probably like three, four months before we were able to like finish and close the deal. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of back and forth. A lot of times where I thought everything was just going to like fall apart right there, you know, because it's like it gets so tense. And then it's like, you know, if everyone's not getting their way, it's like, ah, right. It's like, I'm like, dude, we just need to just get this to the finish line. Right. Um, but we ended up getting it there and and it worked out really, really well. But yeah, it was really stressful, you know, especially because it's like I couldn't really do anything about that process. Right. It's like you kind of just have to like roll with it. Yeah, it's tough to probably influence that once it's in that system. Right. You kind of have to. Here's all the data. Here's the information. Like, mm -hmm. here's what we think it's valued at. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. hopefully it works out mutually. But if not, like, yeah. it is what it is. It's one I mean, of those things. Yeah, we knew we were in a good position because the Carolinas is like the hottest pest control market in the world right now. No way. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I, Why is that? Because of climate? It's just a perfect, um, basically the perfect region, right? Highest probably, you know, I think it's the, kind of the highest growth rates right now, too. Um, another reason is, and I don't even know if this is actual reason, but I think it might be like, so Terminex, um, so you have kind of multiple Terminex, you have Terminex International, which is like the big publicly traded Terminex. And then you have like Terminex, some Terminex franchise 
location. So North and South Carolina are actually owned by Terminex franchises, mm. which keeps Terminex International from entering North and South Carolina. So a lot of these big, the big, you know, top 10 companies that are, you know, compete with Terminex and stuff, they want to be in the Carolinas because Terminex can't get in here, right? And so you have a lot of big companies who are big on the acquisitions and mergers and stuff. They're coming here to buy some sort of platform company that they can just start buying all the little ones and rolling them up in. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. so, and we were perfectly positioned to do that. Right. We had great brand recognition. We had, you know, over 5,000 five-star reviews online between all of our locations. Uh, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, Greensboro, Gre uh, Greenville, South Carolina, Charlotte, Columbia, Charleston, Orlando. So it's like, we had like all the major markets. So it was perfect for somebody to come in and buy and, basically use that as their platform to start buying companies and rolling them in, which the, the private equity group and, and Aruza now they've just started that. So they just closed their first acquisition with a company here in Charlotte. And I think they got, you know, a few more kind of in the pipeline that they're working on. So, um, so yeah, they're, it, so I knew we were in a probably one of the better positions of a company to be that for someone. Right. So it kind of gave us a little bit of, um, <clears throat> like, I guess like power, right. To where it's like, we could kind of, you know, navigate that a little bit more, control it a little bit more. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. So you sell the company yep. and then you're like, you were saying you're going crazy cause you work however many hours a week mm -hmm. for six plus years. And then you're like, company's done. Mm -hmm. What did you start to focus on? I know it's been about a year, I guess, what, 10 months at this yeah. point. Um, you know, I kind of started focusing on, I tried to start focusing on my health again. Right. And that was kind of like, you know, give or take. Um, and then the problem is, and I think this is kind of part of my downfall, right? Is it was like, okay, I need to get busy right away, right? Which I wish I almost kind of would have took a little bit of time to kind of settle in and like um, let everything sink in and then kind of, you know, move into the next season. But I mean, you know, you have that hunger and you have that drive. So you're like, okay, I got to just get going again. Um, so I've been working on uh, my, comp my new company, Growable Ventures, which is like, the thing that I'm, I'm super excited about now. And so I've kind of had been building that a little bit, kind of started doing a little bit of work there. Um, and uh, so Global Ventures is, the mission of Global Ventures is to basically help home service entrepreneurs become financially free, right? So it's like really kind of attached to that mission I have of like helping people achieve their goals. And so what I'm looking at doing is partnering with, you know, pest control or home service businesses, um, and sort of providing consulting, coaching, capital, support, and sort of helping them grow and scale their businesses, you know, to where they can exit them or whatever, whatever makes sense for their goals, right? You know, to where they can achieve everything they want. And so I have a goal, I have a target of, of creating 20 multimillionaires in 10 years through their, their business. Um, and so I've partnered with two pest control companies already. Um, one in Tennessee and one in Arizona. And so they're kind of in the smaller startup phase. So working on kind of trying to integrate them and figure out, you know, the process of taking a business, bringing it into, you know, a part of Global Ventures and then how to, from there, like know exactly, okay, what are the most important things that need to be done first? Um, and, you know, and then on what sort of timelines do we need to execute on these things to kind of bring them where I know they need to be to like scale? Right. So that's kind of the big process that we're going through right now is trying to figure all that out. 
um, which is a lot of work. I mean, and it's a lot of new stuff too, right? Cause it's like, I've never really done, you know, acquisition or partnerships or consulting. Like yeah. And is it just you or do you have partners that came so in So this you? is kind of like my, this is, this is like my, basically the, co the company that I'll use to sort of make investments in and, uh, things for the, like probably the remainder of my life. Got it. So I have no partners. I do have an employee. Um, her, uh, she was our customer support manager back at Arusa for a while. And then she kind of left for a little bit to get a better job. And then when I kind of ventured off and did this, I sort of brought her back over to sort of help me with, you know, a lot of administrative, you know, operator operation type of stuff. So she helps me a lot. Um, so it's just the two of us, you know, love it. Yeah. How are you going out and recruiting different businesses? You say you have two right now. How are you going out and getting them? So I'm kind of like set at the two for right now. Um, I don't want to like try to stretch myself too thin. Um, that's something I kind of learned running Aruza was like, you know, there's a healthier way of doing things than, you know, just going all in, you know? Um, so I'm just doing the two for right now, but those two have came from just my network, right? I mean, similar to what you guys do. It's like you post your stuff, you have a niche on social media, people obviously follow you. I mean, honestly, the podcast, probably what created a lot of that um, network for me is when I did the Pest podcast. Um, but my future, like marketing lead, you know, generation is going to be my YouTube channel where, you know, the YouTube channel, you know, and I haven't launched it yet. I mean, we kind of talked about, it, I think maybe, but cause I really want to do like a big studio part of it too, but I want to have like multiple layers in that channel where it's like, there's the podcast where we talk about business, you know, growth mindset, things like that. But then I want to do like complete behind the scenes of like building these companies, like processes, things that we do issues, troubles, hurdles and like how we over like just give that stuff out to as many people as possible and maybe it helps them maybe it doesn't right but then it's like those are the things that will attract a lot of the people you want especially for this type of you know business right it's like i'm looking for people who want a partner to help you know provide the support for them right and so it's like they come to my page they're seeing all this stuff like dang this is what he's doing like man i i could maybe do it but like that's intense like i should probably reach out to him right and see if maybe he can help me um so i'm hoping to get that launched sometime next year but uh i'm also kind of working on um i'm slowly working on kind of putting the plans together for a new home service company here in, in charlotte that i'm gonna launch still kind of looking for the right partner to maybe come in on it with me um to like run the operations day to day and stuff but i'm not gonna talk about it yet but i think it'll be I think it's gonna be huge um and so i'm really excited about that so yeah man i mean i'm i'm all in for the blue collar dirty businesses the non-sexy stuff and just make it sexy mm -hmm. i love it i love mm -hmm. it so i'm sure you paid yourself pretty well before but obviously you know coming into a large sum of money is life-changing mm -hmm. How has that transition been for, you know, 99% of us who will never experience that or have not experienced that in, in your life? Like, you know, I've heard money, people say money just makes you more of who you are. So mm -hmm. if you're a shitty person, you're going to be worse with money. If you're a great person, maybe it makes you a better person yep. afterwards and you give more or whatever it may be. What can you speak to as far as your experience in the last year of, you know, making a, a decent living, making a good income, but then coming into a large sum of money and just being like, holy shit, what do I do with this now? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think 
I'm in a position in my life now where there's like a lot more to that, right? Like, um, you know, so yeah, you, you do, you come into this money and, and I agree. I think I believe the same that you do, right? That having money, more money just enhances characteristics that you already have. Right. You know, cause it's like, you talk to a lot of people and they're like, money makes you evil. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Like if you're a giving charitable person, you have more money, you're typically going to give and be more charitable. If you're a dick and an asshole and you get more money, you're just going to be a bigger dick and an asshole. Right. right? But what a lot, I mean, what a lot of people don't understand is like money, it, uh, it doesn't fix anything though. Right. Um, and I always kind of thought it would, right. Or like make things a lot easier, but, um, I don't think it does at all. Now, one thing it does do is it provides kind of that freedom, right. And the freedom to, to do for a lot of different things. Right. So it's like freedom to take time, freedom to do things a certain way, freedom to, you know, put more care and effort into your body if need be. Right. Like, which is a big thing I'm kind of doing right now. Um, but it doesn't like fix anything. Right. And so, you know, I came into this money. Um, I just got married. Right. Like, um, things were crazy. They were moving super fast. We go buy a house, you know, we're, you know, my wife quits her job We're you know, whatever, blah, 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 doing interior design, building a pool in the house. I mean, dude. And, and it's like, none of that really fixed what was like going on inside of me the whole time too, that I, I really probably needed to fix like a long time ago. Um, and so I think it kind of maybe enhanced those moments, like and pushed that stuff out a little bit more. And, you know, then it kind of, you know, this last like six months, I've kind of just had this like downward mental health spiral, um, you know, to where, you know, me and my wife were having a lot of issues. We were doing marriage counseling. I mean, we've been together for five and a half years, but we had only been married, you know, not that long at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, had a bunch of issues, fights, and then, you know, we ended up separating in April. I haven't seen her since end of April. Um, and, uh, I got, I fell into like super deep depression, man. And so when that happened, it's like, you know, I, I took the time to step back and I'm just like, look, I need to like, I mean, I've been ignoring all this stuff going on, like pushing, you know, guys, you know, we, we just like push that stuff away. It's like, no, everything's good. Everything's good. Keep going. Keep going. Right. It's like, I literally had this motto, like through my whole life that it's like, look, I'm a, like a speed train, European speed train. Right. It's like, I'm going 200 miles an hour. If you're with me and you get off the train, no chance you're probably going to get back on. Can't focus on what's behind me. Can't focus on what's, you know, I'm passing right now because I can only focus on what's ahead of me. Right. Which that's how I lived most of my life, which is honestly super toxic. Right. And I'm even like going back now through a lot of these like sales, hustle, motivational quotes and things like that. I'm realizing like how toxic some of these quotes are that most of us like live by. It's like we come up through our careers and we're like, you know, go big or go home or like, right. It's like all these different things. And it's like, dude, these are really bad. Like, um, so I really wanted, I really tried to slow down. Now this is where, you know, so obviously money, I think kind of sort of exacerbated a lot of that type of stuff, but money is also giving me the freedom to, okay, I need to slow down. Let me, let me just like sit in this. Like I need to feel all of this, right? Cause I haven't felt any of this my whole life. And, uh, and so then I kind of just dove into like, I mean, researching and reading and like learning. Cause that's how I kind of 
helped build a Ruza too, right? It's like, come across a problem. Okay, get a book, read on it, figure it out, right? So it's like, I mean, I've read, you know, since starting a Ruza, I've probably read like 300 books, uh, mostly on business, you know, leadership, entrepreneurship, stuff like that. Over the last six months, I've read like probably 30 books on mental health, trauma, men's depression, uh, brain health and things like that to where it's like, dude, I learned a lot. So the big thing I realize is like males typically have, there's like two types of depression, right? There's covert depression and overt depression. So males typically have covert depression where it's typically buried deep, deep inside. And it's usually being hidden or covered by addictions, um, which most of these addictions ha take some form of like creating a grandiosity, like, you know, bigger image of ourselves, you know, self-image and things like that, right? So it's usually like exercise, fitness, work, um, alcohol, drugs, substances, you know, food, all that types of addictions that, you know, we can use to kind of make us feel bigger, feel better about ourselves, right? And then that keeps that depression kind of shoved down and pushed away, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling kind of bad about myself, put my head down and work harder, right? It's like, how many times have you probably said that to yourself? Like, dang, this sucks. Like, okay, I'm just gonna work harder. Like, right, it'll, it'll, everything will be fine, right? Um, and then women are typically over depression. It's very outward, right? It's like, you see that they're sad, they wanna talk about their feelings, they're crying, it's all coming out. But the problem is, is like covert depression, you can't heal, heal it. The covert depression has to become over depression before you can actually like heal the depression, right? And so like, dude, when my, when me and my wife separated, like, boom, I got hit by a train. I was like, whoa. I was like, this is what depression feels like. And it sucked. Um, and I'm, I'm doing a lot better now, but I've made a lot of work to kind of improve that. But um, man, it's brutal. Um, so, you know, I've been going to a trauma therapist, which I mean, for guys like that's like super hard to do, right? Like for me, like counselors or therapists were always like, it. when I was young, I was a, kind of a big trouble kid, like ADD, like super hyperactive. My mom was single mom. Um, so I was obviously a lot to handle. And so she, uh, there, wherever, it, there was a few times in my life growing up where, you know, things got really crazy where like she just was like I can't do this right and so she would like go take me to a counselor and I'd have to sit there with this counselor for like one day ever and it was like the worst so it's like to me count like therapy was always like a punishment so it's like I wasn't usually gonna go put myself in that as an adult when I had the choice to do it but um you know I was like okay look obviously you know there's a lot of stuff going on in my life I need to figure this out and I need to talk through it and so I've been doing the therapy and um I quit drinking uh in April um, and so I've been just, you know, sitting in my stuff, exercising, uh, doing a lot more fitness, um, health stuff, dieting. Um, I went to, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of like Dr. Daniel Amon on Instagram. Mm -mm. So he's a big like psychiatrist. He's got these podcasts. I mean, where he, so he's done like, he does like brain scans of like all the famous celebrities, football players, athletes, things like that. So his big thing is like doing these brain scans right, to like identify issue, like your, you know, poor, your brain health and how that's impacting your mental health, right? These, so his big thing is it's like, it's not mental health, it's brain health, right? There's things going on in your brain that are causing these mental health issues. So I recently went and got the brain scans done and which was actually kind of really cool, right? Cause it's like, you can literally see, and I mean, you could see all the stuff going on in there that it was like, yeah, this is why I'm having a lot of these issues, right? And you know, a lot of, 
them were like post-concussion trauma, right? Like mountain biking and doing extreme sports as a kid. I mean, I had like four concussions. So you could see all that damage in there from those concussions. You could see the ADD like clear as day in your brain, right? It's, that, that was super crazy. But um, and you can see all these areas like lit up really, really with high levels of activity that shouldn't have high levels of activity that are typically, you know, show PTSD, trauma, you know, anxiety, irritability, anger, aggression, stuff like that. Right. And so now I've started on some new medicine, I'm taking like a ton of supplements and stuff like that to try to sort of heal my brain. Um, and that really helped a lot. But it's like the biggest thing I've learned through all this is like, dude, men, we need to talk more about our crap like dude we need to be more vulnerable which is super freaking hard but what i've also realized is if you as a male if you are vulnerable to your friends then it creates a safe place for them to become vulnerable right sure. so it's like you know with all this stuff going on people are like oh how you know how you doing what and it's just like i'm like look i don't freaking care anymore like i need to talk about this stuff right so it's like i just start talking about the things i'm going through and then it's like boom, all of a sudden they start opening up and they start telling me this stuff and these trauma and these things that have happened to them. And, and all, I'm like, and it's like, dude, like you're, you got the same stuff, right? It's like, you know, look, take my advice, figure this out now before something happens that you can't go back from like I am like, look, I could have dealt with this years ago. Right. And it's like, I did not And it blew all up in my face, you know, and I'm living in my house by myself. Right. Um, but it took you, it took this whole journey for you to finally hop off the trade, go a million miles an hour dude. to reflect and be like, when I don't have all these distractions, this is what I'm harboring. I do know mm -hmm. it the whole time. Yeah. So when you're talking about going from covert to overt, the primary piece I'm getting out of that is the uh, communication aspect of putting it out into the world, whether it's to a therapist or whether it's a, a loved one or a trusted So no, it's person. not even really like the outward like communication part of it. It's, it's that fact that it's like, you know, we, with covert depression, you know, you're, you're pushing it down, right? But what you're really pushing is like the feelings of the depression, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the sadness, the, the loneliness, the, you know, all those type of feelings that like physically you're feeling and mentally you're feeling, right? And you're doing that typically through these addictions that are spiking dopamine, spiking serotonin, spiking norepinephrine, right? You know, adrenaline, like a big thing for me as a kid, like I was an adrenaline junkie. Well, now I look back, I'm like, dude, probably that was because of my ADD and, and my brain issues, right? Because it's like, you need those dopamine spikes, you know, to make you feel good. So it's like, you go, you know, try to find something crazy to do, um, you know, working, you know, healthcare, like taking care of ourselves, right? It's like, we try to make ourselves feel better. I mean, this is what reason why a lot of people end up turning to drugs and alcohol too, though, is like it numbs all that. So you don't even feel the feelings, you're just numbing it, right? So you think it's helping you, but really it's just elongating and making the problems worse. Way worse. Yeah. I mean, you're at that point, you're addressing the symptom and not the root yeah. cause, which could be to your point, ADD or you know, childhood trauma, whatever it may be. Yeah, so exactly. You bring up a um, a big word, I think, that as men is not often discussed, which is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So being vulnerable, first of all, I appreciate, you know, you yeah. being vulnerable on this on this podcast. But in your mind, like what is the reason that men are not, you know, outwardly vulnerable, like women, mm -hmm. not to generalize by male versus female, whatever, but just outwardly speaking, like typically women are better at 
speaking about their feelings just naturally. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as men, it's like not as natural for whatever reason. So in your opinion, like why are, um, or, or why do men feel such a, a difficult, um, you know, challenge getting vulnerable and being vulnerable, yeah. you know, without being prompted? I mean, that's a really good question. I think, honestly, I think that's like a generational thing, right? Um, I mean, obviously if you look back, you know, the thousands of years as males, it's like, you're the provider, you're the leader, you're the head of the household. Like you got to hold everything together. You're the rock that it, right. It's like, and if you're in, you know, your, our dads and their dads and their dads and their dads, right. It's like, they're coming up like that. And so then they teach their sons that. And it's like, so it just passes down from generation to generation. That's like, you're a man, you don't, men don't cry, right. Men don't talk about their feelings. Like, you just work, you provide for your family, you do this, you put your head on, you don't complain, right? And so it's like, I mean, if all these generations are raised with that same type of stigma, it just makes it really hard for men to be vulnerable, right? Um, because, you know, there's no safe space, right? If there's no safe space, most men aren't going to feel comfortable. Because one, it, takes, it would take, first of all, it takes a lot of confidence, I think, at a certain point to be like, you know, very vulnerable with some, some intense stuff. Right. Totally. Um, and so it's like the average person is not going to just come out with that publicly. And you know, when a lot of men probably have over the past, right. It's like, you know, the news or the media or whatever just rips them into shreds. Right. So it's like, you know, I think our, you know, the way, you know, our generate, I mean, the way the world's been created or people are kind of men have been put into the certain mold has kind of created that. I feel though, over the next like you know few generations that I think that's going to shift right I think men are understanding there's a lot more issues with mental health um, how you know it's it's more important to be vulnerable deal with this type of stuff you know as much as us as men can start creating more safer spaces to like be vulnerable and like feel our emotions and like learn how to like describe our emotions and then maybe when we have kids we can help them learn that I think then we can maybe like change this but Till then, I mean, it's like, everyone's gonna still wanna be the macho man. Like, I don't have any problems, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm still holding, you know, holding together. Like, you know, I always think of like, uh, like the duck, right? You know, when a duck's in the water, you think it's just floating, right? But it's not floating. So it's like, they look super calm and just still on the top. But if you look at them underwater, their feet are constantly kicking. Dude, that's men. Like, we try to look super calm and put together, you know, on the outside, but inside, like, there's a lot of crap going on, you know? So it's like, that's, that's tiring. It's exhausting. Right. So it's like, dude, we got to learn to like, let that stuff yeah. and go and deal with it. Yeah, I agree. And, and you talked about, and I think this is actually how we met, right. Is through you addressing, you know, a mm-hmm. few different things, but, um, you talk a little bit about how you're kind of overcoming, you know, your challenges from yeah. a mental health perspective, obviously the NAD, which is how we met through, you know, Invigory and getting IVs ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about sauna and, you know, cold exposure and yep. these different supplements. Can you kind of talk through that of what your regimen looks like to address not only physical health, but mental yeah. health as well? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, f- usually first thing in the morning, I'm like, Going, I mean, well, I, I get up pretty early. Before, well, it's still pretty dark. So then I usually like read um, for like an hour. Then I, I do like 45 minute walk outside in the sun. Um, I've kind of stopped wearing SPF or any of that stuff because I don't want to like block. I want to get the sunlight in my body, um, especially like trying not to wear sunglasses as well, too. Um, so it's like my body can like really absorb those lights. Um, from there, it's like I take, I'm taking right now some supplements 
taking like GABA, which is like to help kind of like, you know, anxiety. slow down anxiety, things yeah. like that. I'm taking like uh, curcumin and saffron. And I'm taking these like uh, brain power blends. So they're the supplements from uh, Amon that he kind of recommends. But um, it's like a lot of like, you know, ginkgo. Um, I mean, DHEA, e, uh, EPA, like the uh, mega oils. That's a big one. Um, I'm taking, you know, different hormone supplements and stuff like that. You know, because as you get older, it's like, I mean, mental health is big if your hormone levels aren't in check. And I mean, dude, I mean, we this would be have to be a whole other podcast that we would have to get down but you know the food and all the thing chemicals and stuff in our environment our foods and the metals that we're absorbing all the time i mean the stuff that that does to our hormone systems and our testosterone levels i mean you think you could still have high testosterone levels because you're maybe you're only 30 but you may not right and so it's like it's good to get those checked to make sure those are in balance so i work with the doctor to make sure all my hormones in check my blood levels are in check um so a lot of supplements, you know, and I, I, I don't know exactly what's all in there, but um, then I do, uh, I mean, I'm doing dieting, like specific, you know, fat, carb, uh, protein ratios. So kind of focusing more on fats and carbs than, pro I mean, sorry, fats and proteins versus carbs, um, especially like fats and proteins in the morning and then kind of add the carbs in a little bit later throughout the day. And then um, I'm actually, uh, so I've been doing the NAD stuff. So that's actually like, I mean, really helped like, dude, very like good clarity that you get in your brain. Can you explain that to people who are listening who may not know what yeah. that is? So like NAD is like a naturally occurring enzyme um, that is typically built up in your brain. And then as you kind of age, you know, usually after 30s, those levels start depleting, right? And that's gonna help kind of protect like oxygen, uh, protect from like oxidative stress in your brain. Um, it's gonna help kind of with like your, you know, uh, dopamine and serotonin levels and kind of helping keep those balanced. Um, it helps with like anti-aging ability. I mean, there's so much to it. You know, if you're, if you do a lot of like, you know, um, caffeine or supplement, like uh, um, supplements and things like that, it's like, it can kind of help like rebalance some of that stuff. Um, and so, I mean, really I'm like kind of like dialed in to like this, like longevity health span type of thing right now on top of like my brain health as well. So I'm kind of combining a lot of that. And so like, really I started the NAD mostly for the kind of the anti-aging benefits, but you know, then I realized like how much benefit it has in the brain and kind of like helping with depression and mental health and sort of kind of helping bring those dopamine and, and norepinephrine and serotonin levels back to normal. And so you know, I started doing it and I'm, I mean, Hey man, if, if I can do something like that and it can help me perform yeah. or be better then great. Um, but, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and then plus you can load up a bunch of vitamins in there too, when you do it and it's like hundred percent absorption, like all these supplements I'm taking right now. And this may be like weird to share, but it's like, I mean, I'm sure you guys know, it's like, dude, my pee is like fluorescent green all day right it's like okay like i'm taking all these supplements but i'm maybe only absorbing like 30 percent right it's like dude yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Literally like green. i haven't had that problem i yeah. have had i do take beet powder before i run sometimes so yeah. it looks like i'm pissing blood and i have to remind myself yeah. like 
bro it's the b powder like dude i'm just out. like you know if i'm like at a urinal i'm like yo bro don't look at my pee it's all right it's healthy yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, the yeah. Vitamins. someone look at it and be like bro you need to bro, go to the hospital yeah, call, call a doctor yeah <laughs> you need to go to the hospital um you know so it's like with the ivs i mean or the drips you're gonna absorb all of that right so it's like that that is a huge thing to me for me um, a new thing I'm about to do right now, and this is more for the brain health, but there's obviously a lot of benefits to this too, is I'm ordering a, I'm going to just rent it because my one doctor prescribed me like 40 hours, but I'm ordering like a hyperbaric oxygen therapy tank. So I'll have that at my house. So I'm going to rent it for like two months. Uh, she prescribed me like 40 hours of, uh, the therapy. And, and how so, long of a span? 40 hours and so they they she said typically 60 minute sessions. Um and like 16 three, or 60? 60. 60. And like three to four a week typically. But Got I it. think you can go up to like 90 minutes. But um I'm very curious to see the results of that. Yeah. Very curious. Yeah. I've heard it helps with like physical injuries too. Like well, I remember so, so one so like with, with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and I don't know them all, but there's 13 uh symptoms that your insurance companies will cover. And a lot of that is like, um, like opens wounds, burns, things like that. It helps the, them heal faster. Right. Um, but, uh, it also helps with like, he, uh, pushing more oxygen into your brain, um, which can help with like healing the trauma and the low activity levels and getting better blood flow into your brain and mm. kind of helping to like, you know, re, re, uh, revive some of those areas that don't have the activity or, or blood flow right now currently that they need it more of. Um, and so that's kind of the big area that I'm going for, but I mean, there's a lot of other reasons. I mean, a lot of endurance athletes, they're doing, you know, hyperbaric oxygen therapy for elevation purposes and stuff to kind of train their body to like perform at higher levels, recover faster. Um, the one thing I really haven't gotten into yet, and I, I don't know if I can, is like the cold therapy. Do you like, mm. I hate cold. Like, I don't know if I can do it. I, I'm, I feel like I probably need to, cause there obviously is so many benefits to it, but. I'm yeah. just like, mm. they're about to bring a cold plunge to Invigory, actually. Really? They're building one out in the back. Nice. So, and it's not just the cold plunge. They're putting uh, a hotter sauna than they currently have. So it gets up hotter. You do it quicker and then you go back and forth. So I think one session's like 15 minutes sauna, three minutes cold plunge, 15 minutes sauna. And nice. that's like one core treatment, which I'm super stoked about. Yeah. I'm so. about to get an infrared sauna in my house. I'm just trying to find the right size to try to fit it somewhere. I don't even know where I'm. Put yeah. it because I don't want it outside because I don't want to like go outside in the morning to do it. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm gonna get one of those and do the sauna because like a big thing for me like fear like my grandpa died from Alzheimer's so it's like Alzheimer's dementia runs in my family and it's like I am going to try to avoid that at all costs. 100%. Um, and I think NAD actually helps with Alzheimer's as well too, like in the long span. Also taking uh, a supple one of the medicines I'm taking that I didn't really talk about, which I think is pretty, pretty huge is, um, the MSM, um, or no, not, not MSM, sorry, metformin. Um, uh, metformin is typically like a, for diabetics, um, to like help with type two diabetes, which mm -hmm. I initially got prescribed and started taking because, you know, I was on the Lexapro medicine. I was on higher dosages. I got off Adderall to try to get that out of my system. Um, and so then I like was putting on a bunch of weight. I still wasn't really working out well. I wasn't eating good and my body fat got to the highest it ever had. And then I, uh, I got diagnosed like pre-diabetic, right? So it's like, and I wasn't like super unhealthy, but I'm like, 
what the heck, dude? And so I started the metformin, started dieting, started exercising like consistently again and really committed to it. I got that levels back down, but there's so many like anti-cancer and anti-aging benefits they're finding with this metformin. Mm. Um, now they're not like, you know, it's not what it's prescribed for, but so, I mean, I take that every day as well too. Um, and I'm going to probably continue taking that, you know, forever. But, um, I mean, dude, I'm just looking for anything that I can do that's going to impact and like help me like live healthy and young as long as possible. Right. So it's like, that's kind of a big thing. I think I, I was just talking with somebody about it the other day is like, you know, over my life, I've kind of, as I've evolved or changed my way of thinking, I've changed the way I've looked at, like, I don't know if you guys have ever done like timelines of your life to kind of see what everything looks like. Right. It's very, one of my business coaches, um, a few years ago kind of made me do this and it really like put things into perspective. Um, and so you kind of like, you know, start the timeline. This is where you're born. And you kind of draw a line and you go to, okay, this is where, where, where you feel that you're at now, right? So you either draw a line there and then you like, okay, now you draw a line until you, where you feel like you, you may die, right? So it's like maybe 80, 85 or something like that, right? Um, but when I was in high school, I think we even had this like, I don't, I, and this is a really weird assignment in a class to do or a question, right? Like, when do you think you're going to die or something like that? I, I don't even know why schools would do that, but I thought I was going to die by the age of 25, right? Because I was like, you know, did a lot of extreme sports. I did stuff crazy. I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, at some point, my luck's going to run out. Like, right? Like, I'm not going to make it past 25. Um, well, then obviously, I make it past 25. I get, you know, slowed down in life a little bit. I get a job. I start being more responsible. Like, okay, like, look, you know, where my grandparents are, things like that. Okay, so maybe like 85, right? 80, 85, like maybe, you know, who knows? Um, I've still been pretty hard on my body, so maybe it'll be sooner. But it's like now, like studying everything I've been studying and, and about this longevity and health span stuff, I've, I've shifted where I think that I can get to at the end of my life. And so now I've kind of set my end goal at like 125, Right. To where it's like, then when I redraw, so it's like when I looked at my, when I look at my timeline where I'm at now and with all the crap that just happened, right. It's like, boom, it's like, okay, you're 36 years old and your whole life just kind of fell apart in front of you. Like, yeah, you got this money, but you also then realize when all that stuff happens that you don't really care about the money. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, look, my wife, I'm not with her anymore. Like my whole life, this sucks. Right. Like, I don't care how much money I have in the bank, but it's like, so my whole life falls apart at 36 and I'm looking at 85. I'm like, man, I'm like halfway there. It's like, I don't have much time. Like, right. But now I expand to 125. It's like, dude, I got a lot more time to like make big impact in this world. And so that's kind of been one of the big, like kind of mindset changes. Um, and so then it's like, you know, when I was younger and I thought my lifespan was going to be till 25, I made decisions and did actions based on I was only going to live till 25, right? So it's like I was a lot more reckless. And, you know, then, you know, now it's like I would make more decisions based on, oh, I'm only going to live to 85, right? Or even if it's like you're talking financials, like planning for my retirement, I'm going to live to 85, health, life insurance, health insurance, right? right? All that crap. But it's like now it shifts to where it's like, okay, now I got like, I don't know, 70 years or 60 more years, you know, on this earth uh, that I can provide impact. Like, okay, I need to like really step this game up. And I'm, and you realize like, dude, I'm ju just barely getting started. Right. This is like the beginning. I mean, everything else was the yeah. warm up, 
Like I'm just getting started now. One twenty five is not that far fetched with technology and everything. No, I mean so. I've read some stuff and I don't know exact kind of the timelines, but they believe that sometime within the next decade, we're going to reach this like health span continuum accelerator type thing where, you know, basically once we get to that level, it works the same how, you know, transistor, uh, transistors or whatever have been, have worked where it's like the microchips, how they 10 X every year for the last, you know, 50 years. So it's yeah. like they've gotten power, more powerful on smaller, you know, every single year by a, a scale of 10 X or a thousand X or whatever. Right. So once we hit this, this thing, they say that for every year that you're alive, let uh, the medical advances will be able to extend your life by four years. So it's like, I mean, if that happens the next couple of decades, I mean, dude, we're, we'll all still be super young. And I mean, obviously we live fit, healthy lifestyles. You guys by far way more than me. Um, so it's like, by that point, I mean, dude, you'll still be rocking and rolling. It's like, then if you could just extend your life, Four years every year it's like dude 125 easy it's crazy to think right? about but to your point you mentioned both health span and lifespan and that's an interesting concept right is the most important part right totally right because it's like you have a lot of people now living to 100 i mean there's a few 120 year olds that have been around um but like dude i mean they're they got high blood pressure they got high cholesterol they got diabetes they got alzheimer's they're bedridden they can't totally. get up and down stairs like dude the last thing I want my life to be like, you know, so if, if your health spans up here, right. And you're in, this is like your lifespan line and this is your like health span, you know, on the vertical axis. I want mine to be like this, you know, like yeah. I'm healthy, I'm fit, I'm, I'm living life. And then all of a sudden, you know, a week, two weeks, something hits me and I'm done. Yeah. Right. Which is how it was which is how I think it always was back in the you know days before medical science kind of came around originally, where now we treat issues as they come. So, right. So it's like, we're now we're just elongating the health, right? We're elongating these people's life because we have medical technology that can keep them alive with these illnesses once they have them. Right. Versus like trying to prevent, we're not focused so much on the prevention, right? Because right. companies don't make money on the prevention. They make money on the, you know, the, the cure or the, you know, elongate, you know, keeping it subsided. Right. But, um, I mean, think about like, you know, you know, cavemen, uh, Indians, like things like, you know, people who have been around before that type of stuff existed. It's like, I mean, dude, their lives were very active every day. And usually they would, I mean, lifespans were what, like 45, 50 back then, but usually it was like some sort of like natural environment thing that would kill you like an animal or you fell off a cliff or whatever you know but it's like or they would get some kind of disease and it would kill them instantly right so it's like they didn't they didn't elongate their you know they weren't bedridden for 10 years you know before they died right so it's like we've now gotten to a point where we've just elongated the longevity but we've drastically decreased the health span right so it's like i want to just focus on having that health span until i i go yeah we've increased the lifespan with decreasing the quality of life mm -hmm. through the lifespan which at the end. what they say is one of the most like important is which, which is one of the most important metrics to kind of determine this health span is vo2 max mm. so it's like having a high yeah. vo2 max i've heard that no way basically kind of will dictate like how how you're healthy good. you can live for a long time <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure you're good <laughs> my watch has got me at 60 right now which i feel like there you go is low no, that's, no, 60 that's is actually good. good. Yeah. So I think like, um, I mean, I think Lance Armstrong had like a, 
120 VO2 max Holy or 100 shit. something VO2 max. I'm curious. I actually need to go get it checked because I don't know how accurate this actually is. Yeah. I just have been avoiding the test because it's fucking it's brutal, but most, I need to I've never it. done it, but they say it's the most brutal test in the world. Are you familiar um, with how they do it? Yeah. The clinic. The, I watched Nick do it. Yeah. The, Did you? The yeah. hormone clinic I go to has one of the VO2 max. Nice. Yeah, dude. They hook you up. You get on a bike, hook you to the thing, all out for 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, brutal, dude. <laughs> I need to get hooked up with a clinic, though, because I want to get, I want to see where my levels are at. Yeah. I just want to get uh, more peace of mind than anything, but just see where I need work. Yeah. You know, and, and just, it's more peace of mind and just having a baseline so we can go from yeah. there. I mean, at a certain age, it's like you need to get your blood work as yeah. a man, like male. I mean, really anyone every year. To be honest yeah like or multiple just, times yeah if not. i mean you just don't know what's going on you know and it's like most of the ch- times everything will be kind of in line but you never know yeah. and it's like that's the big thing is like finding these things or these subtlety changes early that you can then work on before it becomes one of these issues yeah. that now you're just dealing with or you can't get rid of right so health span that's the key word But I mean, like I said, it's like looking at this longer level of life now, it's like, man, I'm, I get pretty excited because it's like, dude, I'm just, I'm just getting started, you know? And now I've, I've got a lot, I'm starting from a way higher foundation level than I did the first time. Right. Oh yeah. So it's like, I feel like I'm starting all over again, but I'm really not. Right. Well, I love it, man. You, I think that's a good place to wrap up. You got anything else? good no yeah this has been great dude thanks for having me it's been awesome bro heck yeah i like how we circled back started kind of with that and then circled back to it yeah uh so where would you like people to follow you where can they keep up with you um yeah you can follow me on instagram uh just at solomon Earhart. um you know soon i'll have my youtube stuff launched probably hopefully next year but otherwise yeah just follow me on there cool brother thank thanks, you man. awesome sweet yeah, thank you man thanks guys yeah all right guys Thank you so much for your support on each and every episode of the Hybrid Human Podcast. It really means the world to us. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to the channel to stay up to date with new content moving forward.